You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. Good morning. The scripture today is from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 28, and from Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. Now, when Jesus came to the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said, And what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus replied, Happy are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because no human has shown this to you. Rather, my Father, who is in heaven, has shown you. I tell you that you are Peter, which means rock, and I'll build my church on this rock. The gates of the underworld won't be able to stand against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Anything you fasten on earth will be fastened in heaven, and anything you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. Then he ordered the disciples not to tell anybody that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem and to suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and legal experts, and that he had to be killed and raised on the third day. Then Peter took hold of Jesus and scolded him, began to correct him. God forbid, Lord, this won't happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stone that could make me stumble, for you are not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. Then Jesus said to his disciples, All who want to come after me must say no to themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but those, but all who lose their lives because of me will find them. Why would people gain the whole world but lose their lives? What will people give in exchange for their lives? For the Son of Man is about to come with the majesty of his Father, with his angels, and then he will repay each one for what that person has done. I assure you that some standing here won't, be, won't die before they see the, the human one coming in his kingdom. Continuing from the books of Acts, While they were eating together, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. He said, This is what you hear from me. John baptized with water, but in only a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. As a result, those who had gathered together asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Jesus replied, It isn't for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. Rather, you will see power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, 
and to the end of the earth. After Jesus said these things, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jamie. Who do you say that I am? Have you ever asked someone to tell you that? Tell you who they think you really are? I haven't. Usually what I've heard is people saying, who do you think you are? Today's scripture is, is one of two places where we get a very straightforward sense of, of who Jesus is from his own lips. The other one is when Jesus confronts Pilate. Here we have that wonderful and very direct confrontation between who the disciples think Jesus is and who he really is. In first century Israel, the Messiah was the one who would resurrect the glory of Israel. A new King David, one who would return the kingdom to Israel. It was the one that the prophets had foretold as a son of David, and that could only mean, so they thought, a king like David. That would mean a warrior king who would throw out the Romans and bring back Israel's glory. And Jesus gave a completely different answer. In his rebuke to Peter, Jesus put it this way. But he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stone that could make me stumble, for you are not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. Jesus then goes on to tell Peter and the others that he will return again and God's kingdom will come, but not with a Messiah like they thought. We have the same thing in John's gospel, reporting the exchange of Jesus and Pilate. Remember that? Pilate's trying to figure out what it is that Jesus has done that the, that the Jewish leadership has brought him. And uppermost in Pilate's mind is whether Jesus is planning a revolt. You, you see, under Roman rule, there were two rules and only two rules. The first is pay your taxes. The second one, keep the peace. That is, don't revolt. The emperor is Lord. And Jesus' response when, when Pilate asks if he's a king, my kingdom doesn't originate from this world. If it did, my guards would, light, would fight so that I wouldn't have been arrested by the Jewish leaders. My kingdom isn't from here. And both of these confrontations, one with Peter and the disciples and one with Pilate, give us the same lesson. It's a lesson that only makes sense in the context of the time then and the context of our time. Rome was an evil empire. Rome kept the world's peace, the Pax Romana, but at a huge cost, at a cost of organized injustice enforced through unrelenting violence. And if you were a decent person under Roman rule, you really only had three choices. You could go along and get what you could get out of the system. And that's what Matthew and the tax collectors like him did. Or you could revolt. 
You could be a revolutionary, not only just speaking out against the regime. If you did that, you'd get executed. But even using violence against the regime to become a revolutionary, like Judas Iscariot, Judas the, the revolutionary. Or your third choice was just to survive, just to hunker down and like the great mass of people like Peter and Andrew, hunker down, survive and wait for a Messiah and true justice. And so the desire for a human Messiah, an anointed one who bring justice, justice rolling down from the hills like the prophet Amos proclaimed, was so strong that the disciples brought this right to the end. Even our reading from Acts. Now, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's been with them. And now he's going to ascend to the Father. And what do they ask? Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? No. Jesus replied. They got the same answer that they got earlier and that Pilate got. No. It isn't for you to know the time or seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. No. No, the lesson that Jesus is teaching is that there's a fourth way, not being a part of the evil, not being part of the violence against the evil, which is its own evil, not being the victim. The fourth way, the Christian way, the way of a strong love. Now, of course, how do you know when to use that? How, how do you know what's evil? How do we know what's evil? See, I said that Jesus was left and was for the time of the Romans and for our time as well. We have to understand that the same forces that were at work then, the forces of evil, are at work today in our time. Now, it's important to understand that evil is not a person. It's never a person. That's what I was trying to tell the children. No person is evil. Paul makes this very clear when he's writing to the Ephesians. He tells us, our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The spiritual forces of evil, the demonic, those things that are stronger than we are, and that without Christ's help, we would fall to. So make no mistake, the spirit of evil is very real. It's the demonic. And each of us, you and I, we've seen it at work. Maybe you've even felt it in your own lives. You, you've seen it in organizations that crush the human spirit. You've seen it in rules that work to hurt people and where no one is responsible for those rules. We've seen it, some of this, in the Olympics, where a 15-year-old child is sacrificed on the altar of a national pride. Or matters are perpetually under investigation by the authorities. For that matter, our whole system of a capitalism that raises to the highest value competition for scarce resources at the cost of human dignity and human life. That's the spawn of the demonic. Be more precise. Here are some things to look for if you're looking for evil. 
When something is happening or someone wants you to help them make it happen, ask yourself, who loses in terms of power and wealth? And more importantly, who wins? And, and how? I mean, ask yourself, am I being told that the ends justify the means? Am I being told that there's a victim and that I am a victim and that people know who my enemies are and the real tip off? Am I being told that the only answer to this injustice is the claim that there has to be a violent response? And the call is coming from those who profess to be Christians. We're hearing them. If there's a call, and that call includes anti-Semitism, that the Jews or that the immigrants or that the blacks are to blame for whatever the victim is, victimhood is. Is there a claim that you are being called to protect yourself from enemies and that this call is the will of Christ or the will of God? Are those who are trying to convince you to follow them carrying crosses and guns at the same time or part of a crowd that's doing that? Are they telling you that as a Christian, scripture gives you the right to exert your will on others, even by violence? Some of you may recognize these claims that I've been talking about as the organizing cry of what's now being called Christian nationalism. Very briefly, it's a rallying cry that the powers of the state must be used to enforce the moral values of only some of its citizens. It's a rallying cry and is that Christian values are threatened and that as a result, Christians are being persecuted, that Christians are being replaced and that the values and Christians and their values are being replaced and that Christians can only be protected by violence. And those pressing this evil, and this is evil, are by and large white. And to such an extent that it's now often labeled white Christian nationalism. This evil isn't new. It's the, it comes from the same font of violence we saw with the Ku Klux Klan, and it goes to the same ends. Here's a symbol of what I've been talking about. See if we can see this, if I can get this close enough. It's a cross superimposed with the flag of the United States. That's blasphemy. And not only is it not Christian, but it really is an insult to our country. Our country is so much more than this. And so is our Christianity. To be very plain, there has never been there is not now, and there can never be a Christian nation. It's not scriptural. It can't be. Jesus made that very plain when he told Pilate his kingdom is not here. He made it very plain when he told Peter that the violence he was looking for was not God's way, but a human way. It's not scriptural. It's not Christian. The cross was a violent tool used against Jesus Christ, and he accepted it. So where's the good news? 
what are we as Christ followers to do about this? First, to know who Jesus the Christ is, we need to know what he stood for and what he stood against. And we need to know what he would do and what he would have us do about the things that he stood against. Jesus the Christ stood against evil. Not only the evil of what is, but the evil that can be in each of us. For you see, people who are doing these things, they're human beings. And yes, we are capable of doing violence and the same things, and we can be triggered. Indeed, if, if some of what you've been hearing, if not now in this sermon on the news, whatever gets you angry enough that you want to strike back, that's the evil. We know what evil is. Just like Abraham said in last week's reading, we have the prophets and Moses. We also have the one that rose from the dead and on returning from the dead made it very clear that we have Christians more than three choices. We don't have to be part of that evil. We certainly don't need to take up violence to be evil, to fight it. We don't have to go along with it. Instead, we can fight with peace and with love, with understanding and strength. We can begin by being honest, honest with ourselves and with others. So as not to get sucked in or carried away by kinds of violence, which is so easy to do. By being armed instead, not with a gun or a knife or a club or our anger, but instead with a truth so that we can look and see through the demonic to see the lie. And that, my friends, is good news.